0: Hello and welcome to For and Against, where we look at the big issues in sport off the field of play. And we do so for the last time this year. Maybe deep into injury time in 2022, but there's still plenty to cover. There's no off-season in the world of sport. Uh, it's Paul Roach with you here as always. And in some late-breaking news, we're down a man. I'll come to that in a moment. But first... Let me welcome back Stephen Riley, having made himself unavailable for selection in the last two shows. It's good to have you back, Riles. Trust you're well-rested. I am. Thanks so much, Paul. Absolute
1: pleasure to be here. And I do appreciate that in this new world where added time can go on... <laughs> On and on and on, <laughs> that uh, we're we we're, we're going to be we're going to be short and sharp and to the point and and to that it, no I'll
0: stop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yes, yeah, so look, I'm devastated to report that Simon Johnson is a late scratching. Uh, the doctors have ruled him out due to COVID. Bit of an eye roll there. Look, what this means most disappointingly, not only are we deprived of O's company and opinions at this show, but we've had to cancel a fawn against Christmas party that was due to immediately follow proceedings here today. It's a truly devastating uh, turn of events. Devastating. And it is. Rolls, it is. I know you're coming from Melbourne and you were going to do it virtually, but uh, it's, it's one of my favourite days of the year. So, I get well soon and uh, hope to find a new date for a little shindig in the new year. Now, coming up in the show, we'll be joined shortly by uh, semi-retired for and against David Gill uh, as we wrap up the World Cup and inevitably turn our eyes to the A-League. We'll also look at the Dave Warner Circus Reflect on some of the best and worst of sport in 2022 and wrap up with a couple of World Cup themed red card, yellow cards. Don't forget to use the hashtag RCYC if you see a red card, yellow card to draw that to our attention uh, for any nominations that you might spy. Speaking of the socials, you can get us on Twitter at four and against with an underscore on Insta four dot and dot against. And with all that done, let's get into the show. Wow, what a FIFA World Cup final and indeed what, in a pure football sense, a tournament. The best two teams played in the final, a fairytale finish for one of the game's greats, some exciting football played throughout the tournament, a few jaw-dropping upsets and not too many penalty shootouts, though, we'll come back to them. Uh, Steve, quickly, your thoughts on the tournament overall? There were
1: too many penalty shootouts. Um, <laughs> look, it was a fabulous tournament, it really was, um, but I think it was all played in the context of controversy. Uh, in, in Qatar, and how it was chosen, and how they built the stadiums, and how they made certain decisions. And we'll talk about that in a little bit when we, we, when we bring
2: on the special guest. Who's the special guest again, ah,
0: David? well, we welcome back to For and Against our resident football expert, Dave Gill, to get his <laughs> thoughts. Dave, welcome back.
2: Thanks, Roche. If anything will get me back in the For and Against hot seat, it's definitely the World Cup of Football.
0: We do know that, and we, uh, we leverage that to the hilt. So, Dave, again, just you know, thinking briefly about the on-field stuff. I know that's not usually our remit, but just the on-field stuff for now. Uh, your thoughts on the tournament?
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it, was, it was a great tournament. Upsets galore, especially early on. Brilliant um, drama at the end of each round. So I think in some World Cups, you get to that third round of matches, and a lot of the groups are already decided, but not so in this World Cup. And we had last-minute drama in a number of groups. And then some, you know, what what you would call World Cup classics during the the knockout phase with some very memorable games. Argentina, the Netherlands was was a classic. England, France was a classic. Uh, and then the final itself, you know, what could you say? Sport at its absolute best, and said by many already to be the the grandest edition of the World Cup final yet played, which is a big call, but I think a fair one. And great refereeing. I would. Um, I, I don't think we should forget that. I think the refereeing, especially the referee in the final. Um, but throughout this one, and I thought it was excellent, and that plays a big part in the soccer being excellent. So well done, the referees.
1: I think I think that's worth just just dwelling on just for a sec. That tone at, at first, I thought that tone was set horribly when they gave the VAR gave a penalty in the first match, not first match, was it second match? Early on, but what it did was it set a tone that said you can't mess around here in the box, and that freed freed a whole lot of things up. Mm. And then there was also the the extra added time, which uh, was a masterstroke by whoever the organising rules people were because all of a sudden all the stalling, you know, all of the milking just became a little less relevant. And Mm. don't don't get me wrong, there was still plenty of it, but it became less relevant because it was always going to be added to the clock.
0: Yeah, it was a great move. And I think you'll find those organiser rule people thingos uh, was probably FIFA, steve but uh, it was also um, a pretty good tournament for Australia, uh, equaling our previous best in terms of progress, obviously. And we were only beaten by the two eventual finalists. Uh, I think we finished 11th officially. I'm not exactly sure how they worked that out. And the FFA will be pleased to see $14 million US hit their account. And indeed, one poll I saw, I'm not sure it was a poll or a vote by experts, actually had Arnie as, as manager of the tournament. Could could that be right Bear?
2: I think that would be a big call, but I think he did a fantastic job. And I, I mean that really sincerely. He's he's a, an Australian coach who has not always been loved by the footballing fraternity, but he, he's been around for, uh, Australian football since the 90s. He was a great player. A lot of people kind of Doubt his tactical now. but so the way I look at it is that when Gus Hiddink was coach of Australia, the man he chose to be his assistant was Graham Arnold, and I don't think Gus Hiddink would would recruit somebody who he thought didn't know his football. Arnie's not a great spoke, uh, not a great orator, uh, and he's got quite an understated personality. But I think underneath that, I think there's a guy who is tough as teak and is also uh, has a great football brain.
1: Yeah, look, I think you got the highest praise from Lionel Scaloni, the Argentinian manager, when. He pointed out, unless I of a tactical comment here, but that it's always hard to play against a great team. That, you know, I've got the Australian team working together. Those individual players would be lucky to make any of the sides that the Argentina team plays for. But you put them together, you give them some direction, you give them some heart, and, you know, that's credit to Graham Arnold.
0: And the players spoke of that fairly constantly leading up to and throughout the tournament that that was, you know, that clearly they had that cohesiveness uh, going on. And Gilly, as much as Arnold is not much of an orator, uh, I think that his style does resonate quite well with the Aussie uh, sporting public. It's uh, it's humble, it's simple, it's uh, from the heart, and it's, uh, I think, you know, appropriately Australian, whatever exactly that means. If we could move on to uh, to Lionel Messi, he obviously held the cup up at the end of the tournament, quite the fairy tale that I alluded to at the beginning. Look, as pointless as this kind of argument is, is he now the greatest of all time? And and indeed, do you really need to captain a World Cup winning team and score two goals in the final before you're entitled entitled to such considerations,
2: Dave? Well, I think um, I think he is definitely in the top three. I, I hate to say who, who the greatest of all time is, and I think com- comparing players across generations has many, many pitfalls. But what I, can, what I can say very, very happily is that he's made Piers Morgan look really, really stupid with his comments in relation to the Ronaldo-Messi debate and his, his comments during the game, he tweeted during the game that this will end in tears for Lionel. Uh, and he was right, that they were tears of joy, and I don't think anybody anybody watching would begrudge other than Piers Morgan would begrudge that to Lionel. For me, he's the greatest player of this generation and and in the um in the discussion for the greatest player of all time, without a doubt.
0: Steve, you want to weigh into the futility of this discussion? Uh, you, you can't compare champions of different eras, as Gilly points out, but what the heck, give it a go.
1: Well, I can, absolutely. <laughs> no <question. laughs> Look, uh, no, I, I don't think you can call Messi the greatest of all time in, in any regard, but, you know, he had his moment. And I don't think you should make it down to two goals in the final because Mbappe scored three. Mm. They didn't win, but, you know, it's, it's, it's not just about that. Otherwise, Jeff Hurst is maybe the, the best you know, player of all time. I think, you know, you, you, you got to come, if you have to compare them, you've got to go Pelé, you know, three World Cups, you know, and he changed the game on a global level. You know, I think Messi's done it in the most – what what fascinates me about Messi is in the most athletic era of football ever. You know, these are players who train seven days a week. These are players who have fitness coaches, strength coaches. They can run, you know, 10, 20-plus kilometres at speed in for, for 90 or, in the case of the World Cup, 120 actually at add, add a yeah, time 140, 140 yeah. minutes and Lionel Messi's big stat was he was the player most likely to be walking <laughs> in any given game and he still dominated so you know that's pretty special, he's a special player
0: The walkingest player, I saw a cartoon, in fact was, uh, you might be familiar with uh, David Squires in The Guardian and he had a panel with Messi walking on water Yep. nicely appropriate. I love, I love, I love that. Yep. Can, can we talk about penalty shootouts? I know you're about to tell me, Dave, that this is a, a borderline pointless conversation because nothing will change. But can we not do something about deciding a sport that being football by playing an entirely different sport that being penalties? If we played 90 minutes of penalties, it would make sense to split a tie by penalties. Why do we persist with this? And is there an alternative? And spoiler alert, I have one for you.
2: I'm sure there are alternatives, but it is great television, especially for the billions who don't call football okay. their number one sport, <laughs> and they absolutely love penalties. If you told my son Oscar that you were going to stop penalty shootouts, he would be very, very unhappy with you.
0: Yeah, it's the problem, isn't it? There is not theres no change. I realise that, but it's still worth uh, worth talking about, Stevo. Oh,
1: I I think they're a blight on the game. Uh, I think that it's outrageous. I, I have been pushing an alternative for many, many years, and which is one of the reasons why I'm so glad that for and against listenership is now growing to the millions and millions of people around the world. So I'll get to share it again in a moment, but I'm interested before I do to hear what your alternative is, Paul. I didn't know you had one.
0: Oh, no, look, it's, when I say it's mine, it's not exactly my original work. I think it's a fairly, the fairly standard alternative that gets trotted out. Take a, take a player or two off the field from each side every five minutes or, you know, call it yeah, however.
1: Not the standard. That's been mine for like 20 years. Yeah, but it's the look- obvious one. I want credit. I want it to be called the Riley method. Mate, Johnny Warren, the
0: late Johnny Warren might argue the toss with you on that one because oh, I'm pretty I sure he was fairly so. vocal about that exact uh, solution too. Johnny
1: Warren wanted that hockey thing where you start from halfway and you dribble oh. towards the goal and, oh, yeah, you know, yeah.
0: Did you have a defender? Uh, the NFL approach. Um, yeah. Is that how they do it? Oh, that's how they did it, I beg your pardon. Oh, All yeah. right. Did you have a defender on the park or was it just four It's one, one with the keeper.
1: It's just a fancy penalty. It's the same, yeah. same problem. At least it's... Go- take, taking a player off every five minutes in extra time, getting the sides down to seven aside or six aside, there will be goals. I think the challenge is, does everyone go defensive in unit with penalties 30 minutes later? My view on that is you actually say the team who is in front at half time if it's tied at full time the team that's in front at half time wins don't you just so go, way, go
0: don't you just go golden goal I,
1: I'm, look, I'm, I you could you could go golden goal
0: yeah oh that's I my think you'd, that's you'd my end
1: up with a whole lot of crash tackles i reckon i think it would get really ugly but yeah.
2: yeah 2002 world cup was was golden goal uh, and it had it had its pros and its cons and there was some there was a very dramatic round of 16 game when senegal beat sweden with the golden goal i think that was the only game decided during that World Cup via Golden Goal, what tended to happen was <laughs> that first tennis would, would go ultra-cautious. Uh, yeah. Well, that's and why you need
0: to step aside. All right. Well, obviously, we're not going to solve anything there. Unfortunately, it's always good to have a bit of a rant about uh, about pennos. Now, uh, let's talk about a couple of outcomes for a couple of key players in this tournament. I'm not talking on-field. Uh, I'm thinking, first of all, FIFA. So how did FIFA come out of this tournament? Obviously, went... In with a lot of controversy surrounding the selection process, surrounding the, uh, the you know the last minute changes in a couple of aspects of the running of the tournament. Uh, of course, Infantino's fairly famous today. I feel Arab today. I feel gay, etc., etc., Press conference, which really um, I don't know, put put a bit of a pall over things at least for a period of time. Gilly, how do you feel that FIFA has come out of that out of all this with a bit of credit? You know, in the negative, in the positive. What are your
2: thoughts? Unfortunately, I think with Credit today, um, but that's only because they came into the tournament with zero credit, and there was the <laughs> Netflix expose leading into the tournament, which was. Uh. I mean, if you haven't, if you haven't watched it, it is an absolutely damning indictment of Sepp Blatter and FIFA and the entire organisation. Really, since the mid mid 70s, how how FIFA manages to continue to exist and run the biggest sport on the planet is is a miracle, and and then. Just when you thought that it couldn't get any worse, then Infantino came out with his speech the day before the World Cup. So starting from that extremely low base, <laughs> uh, and given the fact that the tournament itself has produced fantastic football, which FIFA will somehow take credit for, mm. and they probably deserve a little bit of credit for that, but, and, and they've made $7 billion um, from, from running the tournament. So unfortunately, mm. the answer is, yeah, they've done well.
0: Steve? Can you argue uh, that it's pretty good? You can't argue with yeah.
1: it. Honestly, they've I think I think I read somewhere that they've made a billion dollars out of the staging in in Qatar, in Qatar, which was considerably more than they made out of the last one. So they've they've won big financially. I think the inroads that they have made into let's let's call them sort of second world countries mm. has been enormous. I think they own that space. If they didn't own it before, and they probably did. They've really nailed it now. I think Asian countries and African countries doing really, and Middle Eastern countries doing so well in the tournament has helped establish football, which is arguably one of FIFA's prime goals. You know, I, I think, and that the tournament itself, like we said, from the rules to the excitement, you know, that was a triumph. You know, only they could be considering, you know, a new new format for 48 to <laughs> for the next one. But mm. obviously, you know, well, perhaps not obviously, but I think I think we know that they, they make their decisions based on money and that by that measure, they've done brilliantly this World Cup.
0: And it's interesting that the next one goes to, you know, collectively what I'll, I'll label loosely a first world conglomerate. I mean, Mexico, you could sort of argue around whether they're truly first world, but obviously Canada and, and the US. And it'll be interesting to see whether the, the mood changes, the atmosphere changes or the, the style of play changes. Because, I mean, we've been to some fairly, relatively exotic locations for the World Cup the last three tournaments: uh, Qatar, Russia, Brazil, even South Africa. You could argue they're all a bit sort of, you know, they're not exactly the richest countries in the world. So yeah, it's been an interesting strategy. It'll be interesting to see whether that sort of percolates through in the next, I don't know, ten or even twenty years in any way, shape, or form.
2: Yeah, they'll they'll have a tough they'll have a tough act to follow, and it'll be interesting to see how the Arab and the Eastern world, to to use a generalisation, uh, reacts to a World Cup in the US and what kind of mudslinging is going on before before that World. Cup. World Cup, but then as soon as the football begins in 2026, all of that will be forgotten. And if it's a good tournament and the football is good, which is probably yeah, and and Steve um, another another triumph.
0: Sorry, Dave, and yeah, Steve. I mean, let's let's uh, talk about Qatar. I mean, the other they're the other party that it's worth assessing as to how they came out of this, you know, positive, negative, with credit, uh, went in with a lot of um, question marks about how, you know, about the lead up to the tournament, obviously the the workers, um, even just the late change, the beer sales, just that commercial um, side of things you couldn't really depend on, you know, your contract you had with them and so forth. So what's the analysis on that side, Steve? Look, it it depends who you ask.
1: (laughs) So I, I think when you're talking to a lot of the, Western media, they'll say that a uh, fantastic football doesn't cover up the, uh, the shame and the, the, the horrible behaviours involved, especially with migrant workers in building the stadiums or, all the, the, um all the question marks about how they were awarded the, the tournament in the first place. But if you were to go and ask uh, a whole lot of the media in Northern Africa or in the Middle East itself, then you get a different sort of report. So we've had, you know, comments from the news agencies in Iran saying, after all twists and turns, the uh, Qatar World Cup ended in Argentine victory. However, Western media criticism of the Qataris goes on, um, and then they point out that, you know, there was no issue with I mean, when there was controversy about Messi being asked to wear a beast in the uh, mm. in the, the ceremony. They said, well, no one criticised Pele when he was asked to wear a sombrero <laughs> in Mexico. You know, there are comments here. There are comments from. I'll, I'll find some more. Just talking about how this is showing the Western world that not everything has to be done their way, and and the way Qatar did it had you know honour about their own values and the like, which is an interesting perspective for us to think about.
2: Dave, yeah, I think there's definitely a lot to that, and you know, one of the I, I think one of the concerns bizarrely leading into the tournament was that it was going to be hard for spectators to get a drink um at the grounds and isn't this terrible and it's going to distract so much from the um the atmosphere at the world cup but actually you know that turned out to be a benefit and i think you know there weren't any major crowd violence issues and the other thing that we saw was that it was teams like saudi arabia and morocco that had the big support tunisia against australia And the atmosphere in those stadiums was absolutely fantastic and it was something different. It gave the World Cup something it hadn't had before, Uh, a stadium in Morocco against Portugal where 90% of the stadium was supporting Morocco and with incredible passion and noise. And that, that was absolutely fantastic.
0: Who'd have thought you actually don't need alcohol to have a good time after all? Breaking news there, yeah. Uh, Steve, was it you that pointed out that um, there was exactly zero arrests of English fans at at, at the World Cup, which is probably the cool. first time in history. Amazing,
1: <laughs> amazing. You know, uh,
0: look once once again, we're missing uh, Jono, uh, which is particularly disappointing not to have him here. As I was looking forward to some quality gloating from him having won our quadrennial since nineteen ninety World Cup fantasy tipping uh, comp. And he won it running away. How did you two uh, do, by the way, in that competition out of eight? That's just mean. <laughs> Tis a bit. Dave, our resident football expert, finished sixth out of eight have, on a net score of zero, having scored nine goals and conceded nine. The old Swiss strategy there, Gilly, on the, the goalkeeper.
2: Yeah.
0: Steve equal last of minus.
2: You can't rely on the Swiss. Who can you rely on, for <laughs> God's
0: sake? Steve equal last of the eight with minus one at scoring three goals. How, how much did you pay for Ronaldo? Out of the imaginary uh, two hundred dollars that we had to, in the auction,
1: so uh, way too much. It turned so I, I I thought I nailed the auction. I had Ronaldo and I had Benzema, and and I feel a little a little dipped because you know there are a couple of bidders in our auction who bid for players who were injured, and and everyone did the nice thing and told them hey they're injured. <laughs> Benzema was still playing during the auction. Twenty four hours later, he was out. And uh, and then you know, of course, Ronaldo. Who's picking Ronaldo to get dropped from the starting lineup um, <laughs> after scoring the first game? You know, it just it all fell apart. That's and that's why we love sports so much.
0: Happy to report, I came third after Morocco shipped four late goals, brought me back to the field a bit. But Jono, yet yeah, net twelve with fifteen goals scored and only three against, having chosen Denmark, and he had Mbappe with uh, eight of those fifteen. It's going to be a record for goals scored, isn't it? 15, 15 goals scored in our little tournament. Anyway, be. Uh, yeah. Look, I'm uh, sort of going down a personal rabbit hole there. But to local football, just quickly before we let you go, Dave, and of course, everyone would have seen the footage of Melbourne Victory fans breaching the fence in response to the uh, the city keeper kindly returning a flare to someone in the crowd who had lost it onto the field. With said keeper then copying a nasty blow from, somewhat ironically, a sand bucket used to extinguish flares. Look, the outcome of this is somewhat developing as we speak. Gents, what do you think the right response is here? I mean, there's the question around uh, the keeper himself. There's the question about the crowd. There's the question about the club. There's a the question about the league. I mean, it's really unfortunate timing to state the obvious to such a short period of time after the glow of the World Cup, uh, both the tournament itself and how the soccerers have done. And yet there's much sort of gnashing of teeth about soccer shooting itself in the foot again and, you know, so be it. But... Yeah, an appropriate response. Uh, steve what are your initial thoughts?
1: Uh, uh, yeah, t- typical football in Australia, shooting, yeah, just snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. This should be its greatest 12 months almost ever. After outperforming in the Men's World Cup, they get to host the Women's World Cup. There there would have been kids aplenty. There were kids, at, you know, about most people I know, there were kids who were... Dying to get to uh, Fed Square at six in the morning to watch the Argentina game. There were kids who were dying to go and watch football live, and were no doubt out there that day. And Australian football has done what only Australian football can do, and just tried to to just smash it. I really hope people look past it, and we and, and we get to carry on. But I'm not sure that we will
0: think uh, given time I'm sure we will dave
2: yeah not not ideal i mean I, obviously I, it, it's not it's not fatal to australian soccer but it's just i mean the question has to be here why why does this type of thing keep happening with with australian football and i think the the instigators whether it was a a rush of blood to the head or not i think the instigators need to be punished in a in a serious way in terms of lifetime bans i think that message needs to be sent but I, I i think we do need to have some kind of you know inquest royal commission whatever it is and just ask the question why why does this continue to happen in this in australian soccer there's so much love and support for the game and so much willingness for australia to take the next step and become an elite footballing nation but this type of thing clearly doesn't help
1: look yeah faint comfort for you dave uh both the, the the two main sort of high profile instigators have been given life bans. They've also been charged with uh, violent disorder, discharge missile, intent to cause injury, uh, and a and a separate alleged assault charge on the on the keeper. So you know that's going down. You know the sport penalties as well as legal ones. So, uh, but I, I think you're right, Dave. There's a there's a systemic question about you know how do you how do you get get rid of this.
0: And an interesting one, uh, I found there was a bit of precedent for a footballing body reacting to a player throwing a flare back into the uh, the stands. Gilly, I'm not sure if you're aware of this one, but in May 22, Brazilian Richarlison, who played for Everton at the time, was fined 25,000 pounds and banned for one match, which was actually his first match against, uh, oh, sorry, four Spurs in the following season after he picked up a flare and chucked it back into the into the crowd so it'll be interesting to, to see what happens to our uh, our glovemen uh, in this incident as well but yeah as you say Steve lifetime bands are already starting to rain down but um yeah such a such an unfortunate look but of course all this all supposedly uh, has its root not not entirely but uh, by the bold move from uh, Australian professional leagues the, the mob that runs the a-league to sell off the grand final for the next three years to Sydney Came as a bit of a shock, I think, to most people, if not everyone, which, which again has gotten a lot of fans offside who've expressed their displeasure in various ways, mostly legal. Um, but uh, yeah, I've, look, it, it's a, what were they thinking? What were they thinking about doing that? What were they thinking about not actually telegraphing the fact that they were doing that? I don't know. It's it, they've had fifteen, what do we have to seventeen odd seasons where it's all been a home and away style uh, final series and suddenly they do this. It's just crazy.
2: <laughs> Don't have any answers for you um, on that, Roachie. I mean, that's whether whether or not that is a bad decision, and I guess there's, there's, there would be different arguments on that. But even if it was the worst footballing administration decision in the world, it shouldn't lead to what happened the oh, yeah, um, sure. Melbourne Derby.
0: Yeah, yeah, and look, let's let's park that because I agree with you totally, obviously. But just if you consider this, this the decision, look, even if the Melbourne Derby behaviour hadn't happened, we would still be talking about this now, Steve.
1: Look, yeah, I was just going to say, I think there's a there's a few different things going on behind that decision. One is that you know Netball set a precedent, and you can imagine that sports administrators you know around the country were, oh, oh, that's an interesting idea. Should mm. we do that too? Oh, and then in the case of football in Australia. It appears that they had a clause in their deal with Paramount Plus that if Paramount Plus didn't get a sufficient number of uh, a sufficient increase in subscribers, presumably to do with, with sponsoring the football, then they could claim back some of the, the the revenue. And so that was one of the reasons that all of a sudden football in Australia was short on monies. And so this was the lever they pulled to try and make good on that. So there's, there's two aspects there. One is there's a lesson for the cricket. Uh, broadcast rights, which you know, I suspect we'll talk about in a, a future show, but in um, there's a, a lesson there for Australian football about have they understood, you know, the, the, all of the revenue levers that they've got, and when they were making this decision, how on earth could they put the, the final in Sydney when Melbourne's the sporting capital of the universe? <laughs> <laughs> Idiots!
0: That that old chestnut. <laughs> And look, it's telling that both netball and, as you say there, Steve, uh, football, we're in in sort of pressing financial circumstances that precipitated that. Um, In both cases, very, very unpopular move. Now, I'm conscious we're running towards the end of our free data with Gilly. Um, so, Dave, uh, terrific to have you on the show once again. hope you have a restful break over the festive season. I'm sure we'll talk to you again in 2023.
2: Thanks, Rush. You're about to head off for four weeks of football research in Europe, so I'll report back oh, I uh, did on say. my return.
0: Yeah, we'll have to get you on specially. Fantastic. Uh, Chelsea West, uh, Chelsea uh, Fulham is the most likely candidate at this stage. Is that right?
2: That is correct.
0: Excellent. Well, all the best over there. And, yeah, look forward to hearing your, your full report sometime uh, next year. On your Dave Gill there, joining us on for and against once again. Onto the shootout now, where we cover a couple of topics in uh, quick fashion. And uh, first up to the cricket. Do we need to throw any more fuel on the Dave Warner fire? Well, why not? I say uh, sitting on a poor <laughs> sitting on a poor run of form as we go to digits and uh, chucking some of his own fuel on the fire by, and I like this pretending on Instagram he was off to Bali a week out from the Boxing Day test. I like that. So the existence of the should he be able to lead again debate also can't be helping. Now, uh, somewhat academic, I'd have thought, given he's 36 years old, but there seems to be a very deliberate effort by his PR people to, um, to purify his image, perhaps in consideration of an upcoming retirement, uh, including a, a no regrets and candor saved me style puff piece with the Murdoch press uh, just after the first South African test. Ryles, can, can David Warner's image be saved? And uh, indeed, can he lead again, even if theoretically? I think they're
1: two separate questions. Indeed, can they are. Be saved? Yes, indeed. No problem. In fact, I think it's probably there. I think most punters are probably happy that, you know, David Warner always had edges, always had a certain imperfection. That made him appealing on so many levels. So I think his image is relatable for ever and ever. Mm. I don't think that the leadership debate is salvageable, and and I think that's interesting because because I think a whole lot of parties in the five have made a really big effort to say, you know, he served his time, he you know he should be let back in. You know, it was it was excessive. Other countries don't do this. All of those arguments, mm. but frankly. All of those arguments were made when the time was named, and I think I, I for one, am a fan of it sticking. I mm. don't think he should be allowed to lead. I, I personally don't think that Steve Smith should have ever been allowed to to lead again. I think there is a uh, there's there's a line somewhere. I'm not <laughs> sure what it is, but I'm pretty sure bringing sandpaper onto a field in your pocket and and then giving it to the most junior player to do the job. Mm. He's across the other side
0: of that line. Is that the line in the sand that Davey Warner himself often used to say in press conferences that, you know, the Australian players would always go up to but never cross? <laughs> I think it is. I think it is. Yeah. This sort of self-drawn line. And wherever, wherever we get to in our behaviour, we just draw a line just past that. Yeah. yeah. No, look, I'm inclined to uh, – disappointingly, I'm inclined to agree, Riles. I think, you know, inevitably the, the PR people will work their magic and restore his image. He'll he'll always have the, the whole sandpaper thing hanging over his head, and he'll just have to I'm afraid wear the fact that that's going to, you know, his his wife and indeed his kids, which he complained about, will 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 cop it occasionally in the in the playground and and other in the tennis court or wherever it is. Candace spends a time these days. That's just part and parcel of the punishment. If he uh, hadn't transgressed, then, then that wouldn't be an issue. It's nothing. Well, I, th- I
1: think it's. I, I mean, I don't know that we need to say this, but you know, obviously we don't condone anyone. Yeah, of course. Getting stuck into Candace or the kids. That's that's outrageous. You know, I think for Davey Warner, that's unfortunately what comes with the
0: crime. Yeah, and to the leadership thing, I, 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 I'm not sure that even if he didn't have a, a suspension or a barring, whatever it is, hanging over, I'm not really sure he's necessarily the leader for the country anyway.
1: Well, look, I, th- I think there, there was a precedent set by making Aaron Finch the captain that they were happy to have uh, an elder statesman as the captain of the T20 team and, and arguably the one-day team, and Dave Warner would fit that bill quite well. His, his leadership credentials in India were pretty strong. And you know, and he knows how to score big and fast in T20 or one-day cricket. So I can see how he may have been a candidate for uh,
0: mm. for skipper.
1: But you know, I, I'm you know, I, I'm I'm not for turning on
0: this one. Yeah, look, I mean, but similar. But nonetheless, I look forward to the two-hour Davy Warner special on uh, Channel Seven or Channel Nine within a couple of weeks of him retiring. Sometime in the not too distant future. Now, on to the uh, 2022 highs and lows, the wrap of the sporting year. It's been another great year in sport, and as much as we like to focus on the off-field dramas and goings-on, uh, at the end of the year, we do cut ourselves a little bit of slack and look back over the uh, the highs and lows, as I said, of the previous 12 months. So, Steve, what in 22, 2022, 2022 uh, caught your eye, both good and bad?
1: Look, I think the first thing to note is it, it was the comeback right it was sport trying uh, to establish some yeah. normality again mm. and and i think that's um you know if i if i talk broad brush about the sports you know afl and nrl in australia in particular it took a while to get me back in the game to be frank mm-hmm. they, they they really i sort of started with geez um it's just not working for me i don't get it we're not getting the water cooler Talk, yeah, uh, I appreciate that's you know Americanized thing. Sorry, Paul, but okay, you know, yeah, that right. office banter it's on a better, Monday morning when you've got you know hybrid working, some people in, some people not. Lost a step, but boy, the quality of both premierships did everything to bring that back. And by the time we were, you know, in final series, the ratings were up, crowds were up. There were there was some incredible sport, and I, I think there was a release, you know, of, of, across the country of desire to to be entertained this way. So, you know, that's my first
0: thing. What about you? Very, very deep on the high front. Look, I mean, just sneaking a little personal high when it comes to sport, and I did mention this in the show uh, at the time, went down to the Melbourne Grand Prix and through connections, managed to get into the back of the Red Bull pit garage with the soundproof headphones on for 10 minutes during qualifying. That was as about as inner sanctum as a mug punter like myself could ever hope to get. And that was absolutely amazing. So a bit of a personal sporting high, but something that more people can relate to. Perhaps it was Buddy's uh, thousandth goal. Just I was there. It took me ten minutes to actually get on the field because there was you know forty thousand people at the game and thirty five thousand of them were on the ground. It was a remarkable thing to be at. I wasn't there when Pluger kicked his kick the record where the, the the last time a whole lot of people poured under the SCG. And um, yeah, so the, the milestone itself is kind of okay. Well, you know, well done, Buddy. That's a thousand. But just the the chaos that ensued and was and was tolerated, and everyone knew that everyone's going to storm the field. And in any other environment, that'd be five and a half thousand dollars, but not this time.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think I think there's some irony after we've just got stuck in the Melbourne victory. Yeah. But the um, a couple of points about that: one is that uh, in the future there won't be thirty-five thousand people who stormed the field. hundred and thirty-five will claim that they were there and stormed <laughs> totally the, the field. And and the first point about the Melbourne Grand Prix: another great example of the release of people coming back and it's selling out
0: in minutes. Well, the 2023 one, yeah, three and a half minutes, the three and a half hours, the whole thing is sold out. That's incredible to your point. Wow, wow. Uh, What about a low point, Steve, a a low light for 2022 in sport? Oh,
1: you know, uh, look, I I, I think, uh, again, I'm going to go big picture. Uh, I think, (laughs) I'm going to say Russia invading Ukraine. Um, (laughs) You know, I'm I'm very deep today. Very reflective. But, but, you know, that had, that had all sorts of ripple effects. The Champions League final got moved. Yeah, you know, Russian uh, Formula One Grand Prix got shifted. And, yeah. uh, teams, players were not allowed to appear in, in world championships. Wimbledon got disrupted yep. and later smashed by various associations for doing what I think was regarded as the right thing. But, but that was, um, you know, it's, it's all well and good to say sport and politics don't mix, mix but we all know that they do. Mm. And so I think that was the, the the most difficult part of the year.
0: Well, I mean, speaking of which, sport and politics. I mean, uh, my my choice for low light is a continued existence and apparent relative success, uh, given where it was placed some time a little time ago. Was uh, Greg Norman and, and Live Golf? Uh, the fact that that's still kicking around and, and going places and signing uh, some good golfers. So I'm that's I think that's a that's a low light for me. Greg's carry on and the, the fact that this tournament, given its backing and the sports washing connotations is still, uh, unfortunately, looking fairly um, alive and very much alive and kicking. Afraid so. Spot on.
1: And look, I, I think there was uh, an announcement um, just recently that uh, the Masters next year is going to let the yeah. Leafs play yeah. um, a, a little Ooh. bit qualified in that the sense that how they qualify will be will be key. So ex champions will will retain their automatic entry. Uh, Grand Slam, other major champions will retain their automatic entry, so that they have sort of played with the bylaws to mm. to, to make their statement. But um, you know, I think live golf survives much to the chagrin of anyone with values. I'm
0: afraid so. All right, well, if if you're just tuning in, a very radio thing to do there. You might think we're in the middle of red card, yellow card, but no, that was our low lights for 2022 <laughs> in the world of sport. However, we are now about to come to. Red card, yellow card—our uh, favourite part of the show, where we point fun at uh, sporting types who have mucked up off the field of play, done things we'd rather they would rather we forgot, and of course, it's our job to make sure that we all don't. So, Steve-O, what do you got for us?
1: So, I am going to—I'm uh, uh, I'm actually going to do one nomination, but we in two parts. The first part has a little bit of a question for eligibility, which is why I'm glad I've got a second.
0: Part. <laughs> far um, away, I'm intrigued. All right.
1: I am nominating Emiliano Martinez, who was the Argentine goalkeeper who arguably won them the World Cup. Mm. He won the penalty shootout. Well, he stopped
0: Australia from beating beating them, remember? He stopped Australia, he stopped
1: the Dutch, and in the end he stopped the French. He was a wall. He won the Golden Glove and at that moment also won a red card, yellow card nomination because... As he walked away, he took the uh, the trophy, which oh, no. is uh, a lovely...
0: Hand. Well, it's, a, it's a hand. It's yeah. a glove.
1: Uh, a golden glove trophy. Fancy that. And he proceeded to uh, put Let, it
0: in... Let's not get too graphic here, Steve.
1: That's a really <laughs> good point. He proceeded to uh, put it in a particular position. And a suggestive,
0: a suggestive. Suggestive. Suggestive pose. position,
1: a certain gyrating action, mm-hmm. and uh, the whole world was... <laughs> Was watching. Let me just point out that this is the most watched game in US television history. Oh, I'm really? not sure, by the way, whether his celebration will up the, the people that watch next time or reduce it, but he... Um,
0: Highest you know, rating and, of any, any sporting event in the US?
1: Uh, no, any, football. any football, any soccer yeah. event. And uh, anyway, he took that moment and uh, made his mark, but... But, and he did but wait, t- there's more. Supposedly justified later by saying it was a response to French yeah, And he that,
0: Well, that's a, a nomination bit, in and of itself, his, his attempt to justify it. But anyway, carry on. Well, it goes but on. Then,
1: but then, but wait, <laughs> there's more. We go to State Buenos Aires and anyone who saw the footage of the celebrations in Buenos Aires, there are literally millions, millions of people gathered around. It took them like Uh, It took him a few hours to travel 30 metres or something crazy in the bus. That's incredible, isn't it? But uh, he's on the bus and he's having a great time and he is carrying a little baby doll with the face of Kylian Mbappe. Uh, Oh. That's poor. Now, now I don't know whether he sourced the doll himself, made up the doll himself, whether it was just handed to him and he ran with it. Uh, Was that a voodoo doll? (laughs) Possibly, I think he was making a point about uh, about Mbappe being a crybaby, but you know, mm. for a world champion, and he did this after he defeated the Dutch, and he certainly did it again yeah. after the the French. He he gave bad winners a bad name,
0: a bit graceless. So yeah, I, I think that's erring towards a red with all those that that. Combined uh, offences there, Steve. -er. Well,
1: at at worst, uh, at best maybe,
0: it's two yellows, which makes it Ah, good call, good call. Well, mercifully, mine uh, is is quite simple by comparison. It was 6am on Sunday, the 4th of December. A good time to bury news if you've got something you want to bury, surely. So clearly the AFL doesn't think much of their first round of 2023 because it was at that precise moment, give or take 15 minutes, that the AFL, in concert with the Melbourne Murdoch tabloid, decided to release details of the opening round for, as I say, 2023. And now, at that moment, was um, oh, what a coincidence! It was also the kickoff of the Socceroos versus Argentina knockout round of 16 game. What a grubby, opportunistic, disrespectful, and frankly insecure act on the part of the AFL to try and steal the thunder of the of the Socceroos and to release that 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 news, that information right at that time you, you gotta ask though i
1: mean what were they what were they thinking and I, I just if if we assume the worst of them then they really thought that they could gazump mm. that they could jump uh, ahead and and take the the soccer off the back page and if we think the best of them i'm not quite sure how then we're we're thinking as you said that they didn't think it was newsworthy so they wanted to I don't know what they wanted to, to brush under the yeah, carpet. That's been I, too gen- I don't get
0: it. That's been too generous, though. They were obviously very deliberate. But anyway, I'm going I'm to dish out the AFL, just a little red card there, for just pure disrespectfulness, but um, also can kind of understand why they did what they did if, if they were the, being the AFL. And with the conclusion of red card, yellow card, that brings us to the end of for and against for another show and indeed for another year. Oh my gosh, I've
1: That's amazing.
0: 2022 is done from a for and against perspective. So, Steve O, thanks for being part of it. As always, a very happy Christmas to you. Uh, any sporting things of note happening over the festive period?
1: Oh, always. Um, so, um, I am taking my kids to the Boxing Day test, mm. which will be phenomenal. Can't wait.
0: Mm. Yep. And uh, I think before, yeah, before, before we meet for the next show, uh, I'll be at the SCG test so, for a couple of days. So,. Uh, looking forward to that so all right steve so goodbye to you see paul see everyone
1: thanks for a fabulous 2022 i'll see you in 2023
0: it's goodbye from me paul Rudge. do have a happy christmas and a safe break everybody we'll be back to do it all again in 2023 but until then it's bye for now